The Hazy Podcast is brought to you by EK the DJ and Michael Reed. Join them each season as they discuss the adventures contained in various audiobooks. This season, they'll be providing reactionary commentary on the So I Got Hazed audiobook by Michael Reed. September 27th, Burger Walk. From the beginning of my pledge period to the end, I was always getting mind fucked. Every time I thought I had it right, I was wrong. If I did happen to be right, I would be told I was wrong. And if I was right, it meant bad things were going to happen to me. Either way, I was always wrong. When it came to Burger Walk, I had it right, and it sucked. We were told for a week or so before the event that Burger Walk was going to be amazing. I figured from the name of the event, I was in for a lot of walking and a shit ton of burgers, or something that had the look of a burger and the taste of poop. For the first few weeks that I pledged, I had to get a few interviews, and nobody would tell me what we were going to have to do for Burger Walk. Eventually, Eric told me that we were going to end up smoking a lot of weed and have some food. After that, it was going to consist of a long hike. The purpose was to force us to bond with one another on the long walk. At our weekly postulant meeting, LT told us that we were going to get smoked up out of our minds with some amazingly exotic weed, fed as much food as we wanted, and get to hang out with the brothers. So we've now transitioned from drinking after, or for a lock-in, drinking for an evening, and then we did clean up the house and pick up some trash off the floor and do some interviews, to here's a night of hazing, drink this warm beer, here's some goldfish to eat, and ritualized puking, to now yeah, sounds about right. you're dropping us somewhere and we're gonna have to walk together high and on burgers yeah all that yes since eric had already told us the truth we knew that the last part was a lie this is the start to lt leading us on with false information to get us to let our guards down when the day finally came around we were running a little late from the library we went to the fraternity house and then we were told to go to Chippy and Eric's apartment. We were very late. When we got to Chippy and Eric's, we were fed gravity bong after gravity bong of some amazing weed that Chippy had picked up from Richmond. John and I being the stoners that we were, kept asking for more and more, and you know what? More is what we got. Lots more. It was all Chippy's weed that we were smoking. He was paying out of his pocket so that we could all get fucked up. That was pretty nice of him to do especially considering the fact that the fraternity had lots of money from parties and dues. After we started to abuse our marijuana dispensary, LT started rushing us, claiming that we were running behind and on time constraints. We were almost asleep by this time because we had been given so many gravity bong hits. Like the events were always, like I, as I remember, is like it was whoever was going to be awake like the event never had a time that it would end as long as there was brothers that were going to be awake to see it through. Maybe that's the biggest lesson to take away from this whole book. If you can stay awake longer than your opponents, then you will win in life. Yes. We finished smoking and James, John, Tony, and I all blindly and highly followed Chippy Eric and LT to the parking lot, where Eric's truck was waiting. 
They told us to pull out our pledge packs so that they could look at them. They examined our pledge packs and ridiculed them for a bit. They noticed that some of us hadn't updated our porn, and they also recognized porn we had stolen out of the chapter house. This was evident when Chippy turned to James and said, Hey, I know this girl. Did you take this out of our chapter house? James said yes. Chippy replied with, Get some better porn, guys. Come the fuck on. I can't jerk off to that shit. Again? That part was funny to me because what was he going to do? Like, take it and jerk off to it later? I guess this was the days before, like, internet porn got huge, or at least as big as, as, big as it is now. Uh, I don't remember Chippy having a computer in the that, apartment. That's right. You were the only one with a computer. Yeah. I don't, I don't remember him having one. Now, for anybody listening, this is 2004, so not everybody had a laptop or a computer that they used, and also because you can use the library computers if you're paying. Yeah, your... there were labs. Yeah. There's no real need for her. And, and if you use the labs, you had access to the software that were on the lab computers. That's true, and then you don't have to pay a licensing fee. Right, even though it was cheaper if you got, like, the student license, which you should always, if you're a student, like, no matter what school you go to, if you have, like, a .edu email address, you can get, like, crazy discounts on software for all kinds of purpose, professional software. It's, like, crazy. Yeah, I definitely recommend that to anybody in school right now is capitalize on that EDU account. No doubt. And definitely don't resell any of the software to buy a free meal or something because you're a broke college kid. Definitely do not do that. We do not endorse that. After they were done looking at our pledge packs, they told us to give them our pledge pins until the event was over. We were blindfolded and driven around for a few minutes until the truck stopped. We wondered where we were being driven but we weren't scared. I snuck a peek at one point, just to make sure they weren't going to kill us. We... The funny part about that is just that in one thought I said, we weren't scared, but I did peek to make sure they weren't going to kill us. Why would you think they were ever going to kill you? I, mean, I think that's I, always it, a thought in the back of your want... head, right? No, not if they want you to join. But what if they get in like a car accident or they're all fucked up or something or so you're you don't know, man. What there if you're is the definitely witness they gotta get rid of? Yeah, there's definitely a small percent chance that you could still die by accident. I guess. I don't know. So yes, that's always a thought in the back of my head. Especially when I'm blindfolded in another man's trunk. <laughs> or in the compartment of the back of his car. That's true could hear Mitch's voice. He was talking to Ron. When we started moving again, we drove for another 10 minutes until the truck stopped. The brothers opened up the back of the enclosed truck bed and told us to take our blindfolds off. We took the blindfolds off, and the brothers told James, John, Tony, and I to get out of the truck. We were in a Burger King parking lot that was beside a Wendy's. This would be the first, but not the last, demonstration of why Eric Davis, my big brother, was such a cheap bastard. That's you. <laughs> That's you that I'm talking about. Cheap bastard. Get ready for this, okay? <laughs> now everybody can see how far Eric's read into my book. <laughs> okay, here we go. This is funny. The brothers wanted to know what our food orders were. 
We started placing our orders, and then when it was John Knowles's turn to place his order, he paused with hesitation. He said he didn't eat Burger King. Chippy started to tell John, That's too fucking bad, but... Until Mitch interrupted him. John, want some Wendy's, man? John said yes, and told Mitch what he wanted to eat. Then I piped up, and asked, Can I have Wendy's, Eric? No, it's too expensive. <laughs> I get it. I get it, though. Like, in retrospect, you and Chippy had just smoked us up with, like, $40 of weed. And I'm like, hey, dude, can you buy me a bigger meal? And can it be at the other restaurant? <laughs> what a That's greedy... why I'm a cheap bastard. Yes, because... you're a cheap bastard because I'm a greedy young because child. Because I would let you get you Wendy's instead of McDonald's. Yes. one fast food place <laughs> was not good enough. <laughs> Oh, wait until you hear all the other shit I talk about you in this book. God, you should have never signed that release. Here we go. <laughs> the rest of us were not allowed to have Wendy's, only John. I could see that they were trying to cause dissension in the ranks, but I didn't care. I was going to be an expensive date. I started ordering a shit ton of food, and Eric said, I'm paying for this. Pick something cheaper. I guess it was smoke all the pot you want in five minutes and order something under five dollars before we trick and torture you for a bit. Okay, you smug bastard, I thought. I'll take a spicy chicken meal, please. They told us to stay on the tailgate of Eric's truck and wait for them to bring the food back. They walked to Burger King and Wendy's and came back. The son of a bitch brought me the wrong meal and no drink. None of us got drinks. It was the tour. You brought me the wrong meal. Why did you ask what I wanted? Was it it to was supposed me? to be torture, you dick. That was the whole point. The whole point was that it was supposed to mess with your head. You get it excited did. and then you get let down. It's about breaking your spirit. That's the whole point. You did break. It, it was accomplished. 15 years later, I'm still talking about how I wanted fucking Wendy's. This is the whole the whole point was like, yeah, what do you want? And then you get you pick what you want. I don't know, pick something cheaper. And then you finally settle on something like it's like a final my last choice. And then they bring you something completely different. That's not what you want. Yes, because it's all designed to mess with you. I love it. <laughs> so so it was a hundred percent accomplished because you did mess with me. The journal never forgets. Torture sinking in. Amazing pot munchies, but nothing to cure my cotton mouth. My poor mouth would remain parched until I could find a magical, water-bearing fairy. The fact that I got a burger I didn't want to eat really pissed me off. I ate it because I figured I needed sustenance if I was going to be walking alone. I spite-ate the shit out of that thing. Bite-eating. <laughs> I don't think, I think... When you're spiting, the only person you're spiting is yourself. Especially when you're under the influence of drugs or alcohol. I'm going to eat this just to spite you. Yeah, that's that's not going to hurt me, bro. <laughs> really, to spite you? I should have thrown it out. That would have spited you, right? <laughs> that you would have been, been like, you motherfucker. <laughs> Long distance. We finished our burgers, and before we all got back into the truck... The brothers had a series of clues they wanted to give us. The clues were important because they would be our only way of finishing the event. By finishing the event, 
I mean returning to civilization. They gave us the clue, but all I could hear was Charlie Brown's teacher talking. Wah, 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 wah. All I could think about was how I got cheated out of a drink and the burger I wanted. I was bitter when it came to bad food. The instructions finished without me hearing a single word. They asked if we all heard and understood, because they would only be repeating it one more time. I nodded and said yes. The blindfolds were put back on, and we were driven for what felt like an eternity, bouncing off of each other in the back of the old Ford truck. When we finally stopped, we were let out to stretch our legs and take our blindfolds off. We stood waiting for our instructions, in front of the biggest, creepiest cemetery I have ever seen in my life. It was something that resembled a scene from A Nightmare Before Christmas, because the cemetery was on a hill that seemed as though it was made just for it. Eric stepped out of the truck and gave us the instructions very quickly, one last time. After he was done the instructions, he told us a series of stories of former pledge classes that had gotten lost. When he was done speaking, all I could remember was that if I saw Highway 101 signs, I had gone too far. Under no circumstances were we to hitchhike. We were to walk and maintain composure no matter what. Why did he have to tell a story about where not to go? immediately after giving the instructions on where to go. So that is like one of the worst parts about getting directions from somebody. When they, one, I'm not listening because I'm not in the right state of mind because I'm under the influence of drugs or alcohol. And now I've right. spite eaten a burger because I'm angry at you. And obviously it hasn't sunk in because you feel <laughs> no spite at all. And now you've, dropped us at a graveyard and told us the most perfect instructions on how to get home, followed by what not to do for five times longer than the initial instructions, making us forget the original instructions. Okay, so here's, here's why we spent so much time telling you what not to do. And I don't know if this is, is, is in your future <laughs> book or not. Uh, but my pledge class, we went the wrong way. And we ended up in the next town uh, at like 4 o'clock in the morning or 5 o'clock in the morning. We we got to a hotel, uh, sent uh, Chippy in, I believe, to call mm, Mitch, mm -hmm. I think is who we called, uh, who, came, who drove to get us. Uh, and yeah, so that's that's what happened. So your we burger went the wrong walk way. became burger taxi, burger cab. Our burger walk uh, was longer than any burger walk. <laughs> uh, we walked all through the night uh, until like four o'clock the next morning because we just kept walking. We went the wrong way and just kept on going. And this is the day before cell phones really were widely used, right? So you We weren't allowed to have, have them. them. I had a cell phone. We weren't allowed to have them with us. That sucks. I completely forgot about that. I guess maybe I gave my cell phone when I gave my pledge pin in the beginning. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember. Yeah, I definitely had a cell phone, though. So, I guess it was for good reason. However, you telling us that long story led to this story. Eric got back into the truck and drove off, but not before giving something to James. When the taillights of Eric's truck disappeared into the darkness, I turned to look at James. 
He was already staring at me, waiting for me to ask what Eric had given him. James didn't even wait for me to ask. He just said, he gave me weed and a bowl. Does anyone have a lighter? I asked. Then Tony said, fuck the weed guys, we need to start looking around for the clue. We didn't have a lighter anyways, so the weed was a dick tease. Okay, I can't remember any of the instructions for the graveyard they told us. All I could remember was that if we hit the highway, we were going the wrong way. I remember, James said. So do I, Tony said. Thank God, I thought. Since James and Tony were the only ones that could remember the name of the tombstone we were supposed to find in the graveyard, they started collaborating, making sure they had heard the same thing. From what I could gather, it turned out that the clue was to search through the graveyard for a specific tombstone. We would find something on top of it that we had to return to the chapter house. I was so high that I was just like an autopilot letting those two fucking morons talk back and forth about what way to take. I was going to ask a question, but I feel like I should let the story go on a little bit more before I ask it. The brothers said they would know if it wasn't what they had put there. An orange lighter. Something, something, find a lighter. Travel down a long, long road. Follow the fork at a certain sign. And get back to campus in time, James said. We looked around that damn graveyard forever, with the worst clue on who we were supposed to be looking for. We started by fanning out with all of us in a line, each checking the graves on our left and right. It would be the only way we wouldn't be there for days. After about 20 or 30 rows of graves, we entered a second larger cemetery site. When we entered it, we started to fan out more, covering a larger area, but keeping poor sight of each other. I heard John yell, Can you just put me in one of these? This is fucking shitty. The brothers had given us weed in a bowl, and it would be a reward when we found the lighter. It would be a small treat for the enduring walk we would have back to civilization. At the same time, it was another sick trick. They got us high so we couldn't remember anything, gave us some shit directions, dropped us in a scary, Tim Burton-esque graveyard, and told us stories afterwards to confuse us. There were at least a thousand tombstones in the dark, dismal graveyard. When the tombstone was found, I heard James yelling from across the graveyard, Guys, I found it! Over here! James yelled. We walked over to where James was and saw that he had an orange lighter marked with Sig H on the bottom of it. We had what we needed. We used the lighter to smoke the weed that they gave us next to what looked like a janitor storage unit or a tiny shrine with steps in front of it. We got blasted and began our journey down the longest winding hill. We were on the peak of a mountain somewhere because from where we were, we could see everything. We could see what we believed to be the red light on top of the Muse dorm blinking from campus. We saved our energy. It was going to be a long walk, and we didn't want to trip and fall right off the bat walking down this nightmarish hill. It was such a long walk, we didn't see one car. Sometimes we tried jogging. Other times, the fast walk. So as I sent you a video clip of police patrolling a graveyard cemetery at night, I thought to myself, how much better would Burger Walk be if throughout the walk there was brothers hidden in all, like, black costumes along the path to scare the absolute shit out of the pledges? That, that would have been terrifying. So, uh, what's interesting about what you went through and what I went through in this situation, and I, this is why I was going to ask the question, but it's been answered already. 
So your reward was the lighter and you got, you know, that was, that was the deal. Like for us, we also had to find a right, the, the lighter, but there was no implement. There was no pipe. There was no, but there's no reward system for finding it. It was, it was just find the damn lighter. And it just so happened, you know, chippy, you know, he had something on him, but no implement, no devices. So I had in my pocket a old bank receipt, and we ripped it up and rolled a J with uh, the bank receipt. Oh my God, that, you have yeah, cancer. That... <laughs> you definitely are. Don't tell any health insurers you did that. <laughs> <laughs> with a bank receipt? It wasn't a thermal receipt. It was like a piece of paper. Just, that's, oh, that's even God worse. Damn. Yeah, I'm just thinking all the carcinogens. <laughs> Yeah, man, I think we got really lucky because we found it pretty much almost right away. It wasn't like we were there until 4 a.m. It definitely took us forever to find it, but but we were on, I feel like it was like 11 or midnight. I was I want to say it was like 11 when we when we got on the road. Like started walking. Probably was about the same or maybe earlier for us. But we had Lady Luck on our side. For whatever reason, James was finding everything. He remembered the clues. He found the lighter. It was almost like undercover boss. And we tried running. It taught us that you are only going to move as fast as your slowest pledge brother or the least motivated pledge brother, Tony. We had smoked all the weed they had given us out of our little bowl. We were nice and high, and we were feeling good. Life wasn't too bad, so we had to walk forever. At least we weren't puking into a bucket. I figured we were just down the road from the campus, but we were more than five miles away. Then I started thinking, what if the walk is the first part? I only know that it was five miles because when I was doing the research for this book on where we were dropped off, I looked on Google Maps. Not even the Google vehicle is driven to the top of that terrifying fucking place. That's funny. What if the next part of the event was to pound more warm beers? I presented my newfound paranoia to my pledge brothers and then got them riled up as well. Tony kept saying that he would quit if he had to do anything more than walk that night. We finally came to a fork in the road and because of James, we were able to go the correct way. We went left without hesitation and started down the path to success. The sky was lit. We went left. Eric and Chippy went right. Yeah, incorrectly. Now follow that road on Google Maps and see how far it is to the next hotel. <laughs> you should have just, like, hit one of you look like a hooker on the side of the road and just put your thumb up until the truck stopped and then both of you hop in the back. Ho-ho! so brightly with stars I had only seen in the mountains. It was gorgeous, and acted as a good enough distraction to pass the time. After about an hour or two of walking, when the fatigue was beginning to set in, and our highs were wearing off, we started to act delirious. As we were discussing how lame the walk was, we saw headlights in the distance. We started to wonder if we were seeing a mirage, or if someone was coming to pick us up and drive us to the next part of the challenge, because we were taking too long. Can I just point out something? I walked Absolutely. to court that morning. 
And then I had burger walk that night. So I walked to court and then walked back. And then I had fucking burger walk that night. I have now walked 25 miles. <laughs> you're, walk, you're a walking fiend, man. I'm a walking machine. How do you gain weight when you're walking 25 miles as an 18-year-old? That's tough. <laughs> Not going to happen. James kept complaining that he had to shit. Maybe God had heard his call, and it was a toilet on a flatbed. As the vehicle came closer, we realized it was not James's portable relief, nor was it our taxi. It was Jewel and Cassandra, there to bring us a different kind of relief. They rolled down the windows and asked us how we were doing. Yo, I just want to say that it wasn't Jewel. It was another bitch that wouldn't sign a fucking release that's in our fraternity, but I can't say who it was, so I replaced her with Jewel. So some of these characters and likenesses have been changed because bitches don't like to sign release forms. Because they're ashamed of what they did. They are, but I didn't even talk about like their wild cocaine abuse. <laughs> That'll come <laughs> in future books. When Slappy don't give a fuck anymore. They told us we were doing a great job. They really were sweethearts. They were showing compassion for our current hate for existence. It was nice to have some female support, because at that point, we didn't have too much male support from the fraternity. It was us versus them until pledging was over. The girls told us that they came to bring us water and some more pot. God bless them. I thought that it was somewhat sexy that there were girls associated with our fraternity that helped with events and helped us out. These two girls were also the most attractive sweethearts we had. They told us that we had about halfway to go and to hold in there. Then, they said their goodbyes and drove away. When they left, we pounded the water and pissed it out in minutes. We smoked all the pot they gave us within seconds. God, we were some sorry sacks of college trash. We were so spoiled, we started complaining about the amount of pot they had given us. They had probably smoked a bunch before they got to us. We were starting to come together through our misery. So I found out years later, because I fucked Cassandra, she told me that they did, in fact, smoke about 75% of the pot before they got there and shoved a bunch into their pockets because <laughs> it was sent from the fraternity. God damn. Everybody's fucking the pledges. We're getting fucked left and right over here. Everybody is fucking the pledges. We were unifying. We were starting to hate pledging. But more importantly, we were starting to hate it together. We also talked about how Blake had quit, without having done any events with us. It was bullshit, and we were all happy he wasn't there on the walk with us. That other pledge literally came for lock-in for two hours, and we didn't see him again. He wasn't, he wasn't very cool anyway. Probably for the best. He would have drug us down with his bad moral spirit. I remember that guy being a douche. He comes up again in this book. There we were, the beach bums. Plan B, we called it, dressed up in our Chuck Taylors. We were on what seemed to feel like an endless journey through the scariest wooded path ever known. We were on our way home, and we were going to do it together. It was like Homeward Bound, except we signed up for this, and it wasn't a movie about dogs. I just watched Homer Bound the other day just to get like a reference before we started this and 
it made me cry like a fucking baby. But also, it's a story about a dog and a cat following an old delusional dog that doesn't remember where he fucking lives. <laughs> it's literally yeah. a book. It's the whole movie. So I don't want to get too political, but it's sort of satirical about the world. We were able to make out approximately where we were in relation to campus by seeing what we believed to be the red light on top of the Muse dorm. It was like our beacon of hope, or in this case, our shining red North Star. After some winding turns, we came across a train track that was above the road. We knew if we followed the train track, we'd eventually end up near the Muse dorm because we could always hear the train. After much debate, we decided we were going to try and take a shortcut back to campus. We all tried running up the hill, but it was very steep. This is how people die. We start off with saying we could always hear the train, and then we say we're going to take the train track shortcut to campus. When we got close to the top, the thin pellets of gravel that made up the hill caused massive rock slides, and we'd slide back down the hill, dangerously towards the road. John and I didn't want to bust our faces getting to the top, but Tony surprised us all and got to the top without any problems. He told us that we should get up there with him. The problem for us was that after getting to the top of the hill, we'd have to tiptoe across the bridge that led over the road and then start the journey to campus. It seemed sketchy, so we didn't cross. We didn't want to crack our heads open, so we told Tony to come back down, and we moved on. Since we had less than an hour, we continued down the road with our current pace. We learned a lot about each other on that walk. It seemed like the more we did together, the more we learned without really having to ask. Sometimes that can be a good thing. It looked like the brothers' event was working. We were forced to be together for hours, and through that, forced to learn about one another. We finally got out of the forest and realized where we were. Hooray! We were fucking free! We were just across the Lee Highway Bridge that crosses over New River. We recognized that the hill beside us had a Wendy's and a Burger King on it. We would forever remember this road of hell. It appeared as though we were still pretty far away from campus, with at least 20 to 30 minutes of walking left. We turned right and walked towards the bridge when we heard what sounded like rocks hitting all around us. We were the only people out there. We had no idea what time it was because none of us had cell phones on us. We realized what the rocks were when we saw a car driving down the bridge and make a U-turn. The rocks weren't rocks at all. They were eggs. Lots of eggs. The car made its U-turn and came back at us as we were crossing the bridge. The car's passenger was hurling eggs at us as they drove by at a creeping speed. We could make out Sean and someone else in his black car. When we realized that it was the brothers in the fraternity, we knew we had to evade the eggs at all costs. They drove back and forth down each side of the road, chucking eggs at us. I came up with an idea quickly. I told the guys to start running across to the other side of the road every time the car was getting close. Sean's car was unable to jump a median, and we were. If you're ever going to have a snowball fight in your 30s or 40s, Tommy Too Fast is the guy that you want on your fucking team, because that dude was throwing automatic 
mortar fire from us from that vehicle <laughs> literally picking eggs and throwing them like a hundred fucking yards across this bridge <laughs> and they were hitting us and hitting around us so our only strategy was every time they did the u-turn we'd run across the fucking street because it was four lanes and they couldn't they'd have to go all the way around so we were just slowly buying time and it just looked like this vehicle was trying to circle us like a pissed off uh, insect, and we're just running across the road, running across the road. But Tommy is not giving up. He is launching eggs across a football field to try to hit us. Too fast was uh. Oh wait, is that the right person? Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. Too fast signed his release. <laughs> <laughs> He's not ashamed of throwing eggs at people. He he was a uh, he was a fun dude to be around. Definitely. We had to keep jogging back and forth, and we'd be safe to the fraternity house. As we started getting closer to campus, we managed to avoid almost every egg the brothers could toss our way. They were getting mad that they couldn't hit us. We knew they were probably going to set up a trap for us, closer to LT's house. As we started getting closer to campus, we managed to avoid almost every egg the brothers could toss our way. They were getting mad that they couldn't hit us. We knew they were probably going to set up a trap for us, closer to LT's house. Eventually, we got close to Carl and LT's house. We started hoping that LT's house was going to be the end of our event. We predicted that the brothers were going to be waiting at the front door of LT's house and down the street for us. We'd have to be fools to take the long way to LT's house. We circled two blocks around the street where LT's house was. I think I said LT's house like 40,000 times here, but it's Yeah, it was a lot. It's a lot of LT's house. We walked around a back alley by the main Delta Mu sorority house, trying not to look like rapists as we crept through the darkness. We ran into an apartment complex and devised our plan on how we would round the street and cross into the next apartment complex across from the Sig H chapter house. You know what I was just thinking? The best drinking game to play for my book would be every time you talk about a sorority house or anytime somebody says LT's house. Or names a, names a place. Anytime a named place comes up. Oh, you'd die. You'd die in like the first 20 <laughs> pages. It was a straight shot from the apartment complex to the house. So we waited for a second to catch our breath and readied ourselves for a full-blown sprint Ready, guys? Let's go! Then we ran through the apartment complex and into the parking lot towards the house. The second we stepped into the parking lot, we were spotted. The moment that we were spotted, we thought that we were fucked for sure. I heard a brother scream out, There they are! Running around the back! Watch the back of the house! He didn't even finish the sentence before a barrage of eggs came flying, literally out of the darkness, towards us. I made it in the door first. Damn right. I planned to sneak in the back. So we were right. They were, you guys were all hiding in the darkness in different spots beside the paper factory and in the grass and beside abandoned houses and at the front door and in cars. But we were smart hitting the back door, right? Sounds, sounds like it was a smart move. Except we lost somebody. James and John made it in behind me unscathed. When they started pelting eggs, Tony got pegged in the back of the leg with an egg and squealed out. He had been hit. We had a pledge down. I repeat, we got a pledge down. The brothers were dying laughing. When we got into the kitchen, completely out of breath. And 
These were being thrown so hard, they sounded like rocks. So when it hit Tony, it was just like... And then he said, oh, oh, you got a pledge down. A pledge down. (laughs) We knew the event was over because there wasn't a blue bucket in the kitchen. Sean came in and said, you guys think you're so smart running across the road so we can't egg you? We all chuckled, but Sean would probably have the last laugh. When we were dismissed, we got our pledge pins, cell phones, and pledge packs back. We walked out the door, over a pile of egg yolks, and head towards the dorms for our well-deserved sleep. Except when John and I were done the event, we went back to the dorms and had a huge blaze session outside. We went back inside and watched Family Guy in the common room. We parted ways when the episode was over and went back to our respective rooms. John and I were such dicks. We would go to the common room, throw a DVD in, and both of us would sit on the common room sofa and just, like, laugh our asses off, and people wouldn't be able to study in there. They'd have to go to different floors or just in the library if it was open or somewhere else. But at that point, I mean, there was no other library. There was no library. You could barely get to any other dorms because they're all locked at night, so you only had the 12 other floors in Muse. And there could have been other assholes in those rooms, too, laughing their asses off. We were very selfish. Yeah, you were college kids. It wasn't over. Around 3 a.m., my phone started ringing off the hook. My roommate started to bitch at me about the ringing. I couldn't wait until Paul was my new roommate. I picked up the phone. It was Forrest, and I could hear Kyle Baker in the background. They told me if I didn't come to their house, I was going to be blackballed. Forrest passed Kyle the phone, and Kyle said I was completely fucked if I didn't come to the house right away with my pledge brothers. I told them I would go find them. Then, I turned my phone on vibrate and went back to sleep. What a long day I've had. I woke up, went to court. I had to then do all sorts of activities after, which included an exam. Then I have to walk an exorbitant amount, get eggs thrown at me, and now I'm trying to sleep. My little hick fucking roommate is still in my room, and he's like, um... Are you going to answer that? Yeah, motherfucker, I'm going to answer it. What do you think? I'm just going to let it ring all night? (laughs) And now, it's not even over. They called about 45 minutes later and left a message saying I was going to be blackballed for not showing up. Then two minutes after that, they left another message. They said the same thing, just as drunkenly as the first time. I knew that there was no real way I could be getting blackballed because those two idiots did not speak for the entire fraternity. But at the time, I didn't know that, and part of me did think I was getting blackballed. Yeah, screw those guys. The downside was that when I ignored the brothers' call, they would eventually get me alone or with my pledge brothers. Ultimately, that meant that later in the semester, there would be some hazing in store for me and whoever was sorry enough to be caught with me. So the moral of that whole... The moral of that whole uh, chapter is you want to avoid confrontation whenever possible and delay it as long as possible when you know that there's an expiration date on it. As well as if you get pulled into the confrontation, you just want to stay awake longer than your enemy. Yeah, most definitely. Always out, out, uh, out, out awake the enemy. <laughs> Always out awake. Out alert them. I'm fully alert. Well, buddy, it's been another great episode with you. I thank you for your time. 
I can't wait for the uh, the traumatic end to this uh, chapter. Oh, it only gets uh, crazier from here. <laughs>